0: Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous messages of all time, no doubt. And uh, a, a passage that I have got probably the majority of the messages that I've ever preached out of these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus says something very powerful that uh, I kind of want to delve into and maybe do a little bit of cross-reference running a little bit, and um, I I hope it's a blessing to you. Matthew chapter 5, verses number 13 through 16, I'd like to ask that you stand together with me and, and read them out loud with me. Matthew 5, 13, ready, read. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, we come before you right now and we ask that these verses, these truths might take hold of our hearts, might um, penetrate our minds and our our prejudicenesses, our preconceived notions about, about Your Word and about truth. Lord, I pray that we might become the missionaries that You want us to be, the evangelists You want us to be, the soul winners You want us to be. Help us to be different. I pray that when we leave, there would be a profound spiritual change that has taken place in each one of our hearts and lives. I pray for someone that might not be saved. I pray for someone that is struggling hard with sin. I pray for someone that has become stagnant in their Christianity tonight. Lord, I pray that you would invigorate all of us for your kingdom and for your glory. And I ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Here in in these four verses, Jesus says that we are to be salt and light. Salt and light. And I say we as a Christian, uh, not as a Christian nation, but as a Christian, uh, not as one that is born in a Christian home, but as an individual Christian, one that has decided to turn their back on the world, the uh, sin and the devil, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We as a Christian... We are to shine uh, in this world as light, and we are to be salty, salt and light. And probably we've heard many different messages about salt. You know, salt uh, preserves, and uh, salt enhances flavor. Uh, uh, Salt uh, lowers the ambient temperature of something uh, before it's melted. That's why you throw salt on the ice, and and even though uh, uh, it's very cold out there, that ice will melt, and And salt has all kinds of great uses, and and of course many are the uses of light. You know, everywhere we go, you need light, and uh, light is absolutely vital. And and Jesus uh, takes that light, and he he gives two pictures, and every time Jesus spoke, he gave pictures. The two pictures he gives here uh, with light, our light is to shine before men like a city on a hill like a city on a hill. And of course, if you can uh, imagine out there in the, in the days of, uh, of Jerusalem and, uh, and Israel long ago, uh, uh, the desert plains and that Mediterranean uh, weather, it's kind of dry, and, and uh, uh, those, those folks out there, and, and there's little knolls and little cities, and, and they would build their, their, their cities up on a hill for protection, of course, and, and really for surveillance. You can watch what's going on. But the, the, the same thing about it is, is you can't hide it. It can't be hid. Now, when we went over to New Guinea, uh, we, we began uh, praying about radio, and, and we began seeking the Lord's will there in radio, and, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, and uh, we began uh, praying for a hill and a knoll that we could put a, a radio station and a radio tower. And sure enough, the Lord gave us a beautiful little hill about 300 feet above the valley floor, And the valley floor is about 6,000 feet. And the mountains go up to about 12,000 all around us. And it's a beautiful place. But but there is some liabilities. Every asset has its liability. And uh, the liability is, you can't hide a city up there. You're vulnerable. Everybody can see you. They know when you have your lights on and when you have your lights off. Isn't that right? (laughs) I guess that's like having a Apartment on the third level, you know, the third floor. Everybody knows what's going on up there. It can't be hid. Not only like a city on a hill, but like a candle in a house. Now, we don't use candles that much anymore. It's kind of a romantic thing. Uh, It's kind of a hassle. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, But really, mostly, it's dangerous. Uh, My younger brother, Chad, is also a missionary over in New Guinea, and um, he was just there a few months, and um, they didn't have any power in the house that they were living in, and so they were using candles, and his oldest daughter, who's uh, who's 12, or 11 or 12, was uh, had a candle there perched on the windowsill, which was great, except for there was also drapes in the window. And my brother uh, relayed to me the story of him running up the stairs hearing uh, screams of fire, 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 and came up there and the drapes were on fire. And my brother just reached up there and ripped those drapes off the, off the wall and tried to throw them on the floor to put them out. But little did he know those drapes were not cotton or wool or anything like that, but they were nylon and they had stuck to his hands and he couldn't shake them off. And they were the fire was coming up. He got the fire out and His hands are almost all healed up now. But a fire on a stick called a candlestick is a vulnerable thing. And we as Christians need to be willing to be vulnerable, a candle out in the open. And, you know, Jesus gives the illustration. You don't hide the candle and, and put it under a bushel or under the bed or in some safe place, but rather you put the candle on the candlestick. Out in the middle of the room or on a shelf or on a ledge where it can give light to to all that are in the house. My friends, that's what we are supposed to be. Right where we're at. Vulnerable. Precarious. Right out there where people can examine everything about you. The color of your candle. Of your candlestick. They can examine your wattage. We sometimes tell a joke, you know, that's a 100-watt person, that's an 80-watt person, that's a 50-watt person, that's a 25-watt person. That's just a refrigerator, 15-watt person right there. Well, You know, when you get out there and you're vulnerable and you're shining your light, everybody can see what watted you are. And you don't like that. We don't like it. Amen? You don't like that. You don't like people judging you. But Jesus said, if you're going to be an effective person in this world, if you're going to do your job, you need to be salt, you need to be light. You need to be vulnerable like a city on a hill. You need to be precarious like a candle on a candlestick in a house. Now, how is it that our light shines? Well, look at that last verse, there's 16 in our text. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works Jesus directly links light and works light and works go together you see the gospel is not our light your good works are your light now good works never got anybody to heaven nobody goes to heaven by your good works or their own good works. But your good works is what will get you noticed in society. Your good works is what is going to make you shine and be different from everybody around you. Your good works is what is going to make somebody take notice of you here in this city. As I was walking around and we are riding the subway and going, seeing a few sights and, and really walking up and down your streets here. I, I said, there is every kind of person from every kind of place, dressed every kind of way, uh, speaking every kind of language. How in the world can we make a difference? Salt and light. And God doesn't want us carrying around a, a salt shaker and a candle. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about doing something that nobody can ignore. Doing something that's going to affect somebody else in a very positive and practical way. Good works. How does our light shine? It shines like good works. Something that men and women can see. Go to John chapter 9. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 9, uh, John chapter 9. I'm sorry. Third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That'd be four. John chapter 9. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says this. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh. When no man can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I must work the works of Him that sent me, while it is what? Day. In other words, work day. Uh, The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. In other words, work, day, light. All linked together are works And things things that other people can say, uh, see, are linked together. In other words, our works are light that men can see. James said this in James chapter 2, verse number 18, if you're taking notes. He said, I will show you my faith by what? By my works. He didn't say, I'll show you my faith by my gospel tract. He didn't say, I will show you my faith by my pastor or my church service. He said, I will show you, I will show thee my faith by my works. If others see our works, then they will be able to glorify our Father, which is in heaven. He said, so that they might glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I want to tell you, Tonight, there is a massive shortage in biblical Christianity of practical good works. Something tangible that people can see and say, man, that's what I want. Man, that's what I need. Man, that's what I don't have. You know, uh, I had to uh, pick up some suits up there on, on Steinway Street. I guess that's that direction. And I walked around, there was a big street fair. And that was absolutely amazing this afternoon as, as people were selling every kind of thing and trying to get some, something different that nobody else has so that they can market it to the world. Isn't that right? God has given us something that everybody's longing for and nobody can imitate and nobody can sell. It's real, genuine salvation. And it's only... Shown to others by good works. Otherwise, it's hidden behind your clothes, behind your skin, way down in your soul. Works are absolutely essential in order to point men to Jesus Christ. Absolutely essential. Turn over a few pages to John chapter 14, if you would. John chapter 14. Of course, John 14 is the great chapter on fear. And Thomas and Peter are having all these doubts as Jesus is about ready to be uh, taken to the cross. And He comforts them with uh, the thought of heaven, with the thought of the Holy Spirit coming in uh, to comfort them. But in verses 12 through 14, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here Jesus said, He says, Boys, I'm going to be leaving here in a little while. You're afraid? But the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to stay with you. He'll abide with you forever. You've got the hope of heaven when you die. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And he says, the works that I've done, you're going to do greater works than these. Well, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But Jesus went. So who's the light of the world now? Friends, it's us. Jesus was the light of the world with his works, and we are not to be dimmer than him. Less wattage. Jesus said, greater works than these will you do. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. Everybody following me so far? Amen, thumbs up, hand raised, all right, okie-dokie sign, great. Matthew chapter number 11. I'm used to preaching in an all-black church, and they are responsive. (laughs) Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20. Now Jesus is, um, is upset. He's upset at some cities and some people groups where he has done some incredible works. You might say, he has really shone bright in a few cities. But they didn't repent. And I want to really get to the crux of the message here with what Jesus says. Verse number 20, Then began he, that's Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Here's what he says, verse 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were Uh, have been done in thee, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. I want to draw your attention to verse number 23. Right in the middle, it says, For if the mighty works which had been done in thee hadn't been done in Sodom. Jesus said a little word that had so much force and power. Jesus said, if. And the title of this message is, if only. Jesus said, I did some mighty works. I did some mighty works, and you should have got some light. You should have got some help, but you didn't. And he said something so powerful If these things had been done in Sodom, they would have repented. Let me ask you, does Jesus know what He's talking about? Come on, does He know what He's talking about? Sure He does. Was Jesus around, that is God, during the time of Sodom? Yeah, He was there. So would you say that's a definitive statement? meaning absolutely correct, when Jesus said, if these mighty works, which you boys saw, had been done in Sodom, they would have repented. Absolutely. That's a, our Lord said it. An amazing thought. He said, if mighty works that you guys saw and you didn't repent would have been done over here in Sodom. If you were to name a city that had to be known for being vile, for being wicked, for being just awful, what would the city be that you think of? Sodom. Let me jump up here again. (laughs) Sodom, you would think of Sodom, a wicked place, a vile place. Jesus said, if over in Sodom there had been some mighty works done, they would have repented. But there wasn't anybody. I wonder who Jesus was talking about. You know, Noah lived in a wicked time, and he preached, and he saved his family. Jonah preached in a whole city. The city of Nineveh was saved. Daniel preached in Babylon, the wicked place. God used him in a mighty way. Joseph worked in Egypt. And Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon probably would be the top three wicked cities that you would think of. And God had a man in Egypt, Joseph, in Babylon, Daniel, I wonder if he would have had a man in Sodom. What do you think? Who could it have been? Who could have brought light to such a dark and wicked city? Who could that have been? You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How shall they hear without a what? A preacher. What if it was Lot? What if it was Lot that was supposed to be Sodom's preacher? You know what a missionary is? A missionary is somebody that picks out either by his background by his God-given desire, or maybe just a direct intervention by God and God asks him to go to a specific place. But either way, a missionary goes to a horrible place, an awful place, and stands up and proclaims the truth. I want to tell you today that we're working in New Guinea. And New Guinea is a wicked place. A good Nazarene doctor friend of mine good good Christian told me he said conservatively conservatively 35 percent of New Guinea has AIDS conservatively we we're in a wicked place a vile place do you live in a wicked place a vile place I've only been around a few days you know, New York City is is famous throughout the whole world. For some very good things and some not so good things. I wonder if God would have you to be in this city for a very distinct purpose. Let's look at this man lot. Lot, a picture of a Christian just before judgment. Judgment is about to fall. Lot's the pitcher. I think I had a conversation with two or three people just this morning about how you believe. I didn't say it. You said it to me. You believe that these are just the last days. And I concurred and said, amen. I, I agree. Lot, a picture just before judgment. Second Peter chapter 2, if you would. Second Peter chapter two, verses seven and eight. I want to look at Lot for a few minutes here, and we'll be done. Verse seven says, "And delivered just lot." Now that doesn't mean like singular, only lot, because obviously lot was delivered with his wife, who made it halfway out, and his two daughters, which made it all the way out. So it doesn't mean just like only Lot. You know what it means? It means just like as in justified, like as in the good guy, like as in the Christian, like as in the righteous Lot. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that, what kind of man does God call Lot? Come on, talk to me. Righteous. For th- Would you call Lot that righteous man? God did. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his, again, righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I have always thought of Lot as just a wicked, wimpy, worldly man. And I think that's definitely true. It's definitely there. But I want to look at some positive points about Lot. Positive points. We're living in the day of positive. I'm just trying to blend in, give it a little positive. Everybody ready for some positivity? Come on now. First thing, number one, God called Lot righteous and just. Would you say that's positive? Man, I'd say that's positive. If everybody in the world said I was bad and God said I was good, I could wake up in the morning and smile. Cuz God, God's the majority. He called him righteous and just. Not only that, Lot was chosen of God. You see, Abraham is over there in Ur of the Chaldees. They're worshipping the moon god which eventually uh, about 2500 years later Muhammad is going to uh, bring together uh, mixing uh, the worship of the moon god with uh, new Christianity that had been around about four or five hundred years with, um, with uh, uh, Judaism, mix them all together and come up with Islam and offer it to the world and it's going to be rejected for several uh, hundred years and well now it's starting, to, it's starting to gather some steam. But anyways, back there, uh, Abraham, he's called out by God and, and God calls him out and he says, uh, uh, leave your family and leave all that uh, uh, wickedness and come out to a land that I will show you. And Abraham's father dies. And Abraham's brother dies and leaves Lot in care at, right there with Abraham. And Abraham become, Lot becomes Abraham's responsibility. So in an indirect way, Lot was chosen by God. Number three, Lot was rich. Now, come on now. You need to smile a little bit. How would you like to be rich? Now, I don't just mean American rich. I mean rich, like Lot was one of the richest men in the world. You remember, um, everywhere they went, they were blessed. They came into Egypt. Man, powerful country. All of Egypt takes notice of Abraham and Lot. As a matter of fact, they come out of Egypt on the other side, they've got more goods, more things, and and they say the land can't even bear us, they can't even contain us. And it wasn't Abraham and Lot that were fighting, it was their herdsmen that were fighting. There's not enough room for all of God's blessings. And God had just poured out His blessing. To this man, let's go over to the book of Genesis. We're getting full, full blown, full steam ahead on to looking at Doctor Lot here, and uh, go over to Genesis. Uh, really, uh, chapter number nineteen really should be our chapter of study for this evening. Genesis nineteen, and this is when, if you know the story of Lot. God sends his two angels in to take Lot out of the city of Sodom and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at verse number 1. And there came two angels. In Genesis 19, there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Let me stop there and let me say Lot was an honorable man. And he was honorable, let me say, because he sat in the gate. He sat in the gate not because he didn't have a chair at home. You see, in that society, in that culture, only the most honorable, the most prestigious, the most influential people sat in the gate. And Lot sat there in the gate with the other rulers of the city. He's there. Let me say he's honorable in the sight of men. He's sitting in Sodom's gate. He's honorable in the sight of God in the fact that God sent somebody special to help him out. God sent two angels to see Lot personally. I'd say that's honorable. Would you say that's honorable? That's honorable. Now, there's going to be some very big dishonorable things. But for now, let's call them honorable. Amen? Amen? All right. so he's sitting in the gate let's go on to verse oh the second half of verse 1 and Lot seeing them that is the angels rose up to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground I want to say Lot on, not only was honorable he was humble he bows himself to the ground just bows down boom right there at the gate this is the, the city where he's Counted very important and prestigious. He bows himself right to the ground. Nobody else knows what's going on, but Lot knows what's going on. He's an honorable man. He's a humble man. He bowed himself publicly. You know, I think it's important for us to bow ourselves publicly before God. I think a prime time is, is before we eat. Instead of just sort of closing your eyes a little bit and just kind of, scratching your forehead or uh, you, you ought to bow yourself publicly and say Lord I thank you fold your hands do something that you know what they're praying now you don't have to be trying to steal the show or anything waving your hands sounding out the trumpets but you know what hey I'm praying I'm not ashamed of praying I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and he's the one that's supplying my food amen man bow yourself publicly he was humble Look at verse number 2. And he said, that's Lot speaking here, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night, and wash your feet, ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. But they said, Nay, we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them, what did he make them? a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. You know, he was hospitable. He's taking care of them. He says, you've got to stay in my house. And he makes them a feast. And he's taking, and he bakes some, some unleavened bread. Man, he's pulling out the stops. He's taking care of these guys. He's hospitable. I'd say that's a good point. Not only that, I think he was Courageous. Because in verses 4 and 5, a mob gathers around Lot's door. I don't know exactly how it was. It just says they gathered and they came from every quarter and made some crazy, horrible, wicked demands. I envision guys coming out with torches and they're all kind of wild-eyed and just kind of crazy. You ever been in a crazy situation with people that are stirred up, especially at night? And look what Lot does in verse number 6. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Here Lot, he goes out the door, closes the door behind him, His family and his guests are in the house. He's outside facing a mob of men from the entire city. And he says, don't you do this wickedness. He's facing them. I think he's courageous. I think he's very courageous. Have you ever seen a group of people that are kind of acting wild and kind of crazy? And the Holy Spirit says, give them a gospel tract. Holy Spirit says to you, say something to him about the Lord. And you kind of go, ooh. And you don't do anything? Does that ever happen? That's a lack of courage. Lot, he stepped out the door. Now, I wonder if Lot wasn't quite the bad guy we think he is. I wonder if we cannot, as modern-day Christians, identify a whole lot more with Lot than we had first perceived. I think we can. I know I can. Let's look at some major negative points. First off, Lot was absolutely, totally ineffective. Not only did Lot lose the entire city, not make a difference at all, but he lost his whole family. I believe your family is your first ministry. Your first ministry. I do have no intentions of going to New Guinea to help other people that have went astray and lose my own family. So my first ministry is my family. My second ministry is, is the world, the field That God has placed me in. For this evening, it's right here preaching to you. For tomorrow, it's preaching somewhere else. Next week or whatever, it'll be preaching over in New Guinea. That's my job. But you have a job. We're all missionaries. We're all to shine as lights in a dark world. Amen? We're supposed to be out there. And you are not to lose your family in it. But let me say, Lot somehow lost everything. He lost his field and he lost his family as well why was he so ineffective why did he lose everything let's go back to 2nd Peter if you would everybody still with me turn to somebody and say hey pay attention come on no sleeping in church all right 2nd Peter chapter 2. Look at verse number 8. We already read this. It says, For that righteous man dwelling... Well, let's back up to verse number 7. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what the word vexed means? Webster's. Captain Webster gives this definition. It means teased, provoked, irritated, troubled, agitated, disquieted, afflicted, or even nagged. Uses the word several times. Let me read you one from Samson. In Judges chapter 16, it says, And it came to pass when she, that is Delilah, pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. In that instance, kind of nagged, irritated, just overwhelmed, provoked. Get away from me. I'll do anything you want. Stop. You ever get that way? Sure. You know what one of the major goals of modern advertising is? Vexing you. I don't think our worst enemy is the devil. I think it's our own flesh. And the devil has designed his armies to attack in such a way that our own flesh will bring us down. Our own lusts, our own selfishness will tear us down. Say, Brother Brad, do you ever get vexed? I get vexed. One of the things that is absolutely unbelievable is we've given our lives to New Guinea and the people of New Guinea. and, And you know what? I look over at those pictures and I just love my people and I... Why I think about our people, and me and my wife, we get together, and we'll pray for our people and the family. We'll get together, and we'll start naming the people in our church. And, man, we just love them. We're ready to give ourselves to them. But you know what every missionary, and I speak to you as missionaries, struggles with? Is when you get in real close to them, and you see them for who they are, you get vexed with their wickedness. with Well, the Bible says, in seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds. In other words, they're breaking God's law. They're lying. They're stealing. They're committing adultery. They're dishonoring their parents. They're killing each other. And all of a sudden, the people that you're giving me money to go over and win The people that I've given my life to make a difference in their lives. All of a sudden, instead of loving them and praying for them, I say, these wicked, filthy pigs, what what are they doing? And I'm vexed. I remember one Saturday morning I got up and there was a new missionary there by the name of Dave Rogney. I said, Dave, can you help me make a sign? We're making a big sign, humongous sign for our, our radio station. And it said uh, our theme for the year was get hooked on the book. And uh, we're kind of promoting that all over the place. And we did some neat graphics. And, that, and I needed some bolts. And I went to the hardware store to get some bolts. And uh, went in there and scrounged around and rummied around and finally found something that would be suitable. It wasn't what I was looking for, but it'll do. And the price was ridiculous. And uh, I get in line and, and by the time I get up there to get in line, there's all these people and they're talking and they're gibbering and, and everybody's speaking these different languages and, and the, the cashier is going, I mean, slow. I mean, really slow. I mean, it's ridiculous and finding this and looking it up and looking it in the book and looking over on the computer. And, do, do, do. and it's taken, I mean, it's taken a long time. And all kinds of series of events went on and, I get up there to pay, and, and uh, uh, the system, she says, one of, one, of the th- one of the things that people always say is if they can't find it or they're, they're tired or whatever, they'll say, oh, system down, system down. I said, system down, yeah, whatever. Fine, I, here's money. How much money do you want? I just want the stupid bolts. Take the money. Give me the bolts. And I was, I was irritated. You might say I was vexed the people that I love and I've given my heart to and God said make a difference in my life. I'm ready to ring your necks. <laughs> and she said, "Can uh, oh, uh, I don't have those numbers. Those are the old numbers. Can you get the new numbers over there on the box? And I said, okay. Uh, I grab the bolts off the counter and I go over by the box and I'm looking for the new numbers and I get the numbers and I'm forgetting some of these details and I come over there and the line had formed again I wait in line and she says well it's my lunch (laughs) no you're not going on lunch here's my bolts I'm buying these bolts there's no lunch today the boss called your lunch is canceled I'm paying for these bolts and something else happened the system went down again or she forgot something her contacts fell out i don't know what happened (laughs) something bad happened and i picked up the bolts and she said well you got to have another number or something i picked up the bolts and i threw them across the room and they clanged all over the concrete floor and i turned around i had everybody's attention immediately i realized what i had done i said i'm sorry I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Everybody over here said, It's okay. It's all right. We, it's all right. <laughs> you know what happened to me? I stopped seeing people and I started seeing things in my way. I started seeing problems. I started seeing obstacles. You know what happened to Lot, I think? I think he stopped seeing people. And he just started looking at all the wickedness. You know, if you're going to shine as a light in this world, you are going to have to see people with souls going to heaven or hell. That if it was not for the grace of God, we would be just as wicked and vile as they are. We would be out there doing all the unlawful deeds, but for the grace of God. And you can't zero in and focus on, on that wickedness. You've got to focus on people with souls, with eternal destinies, that you and only you have the opportunity to make a difference in their lives. In the Sunday school this morning, Paul, I gave to you Romans chapter 16, verse number 14, where Paul says, I am a debtor. And we are debtors. We've got to make a difference. Here's Lot. He's in a city. He's not making any difference. You know, Lot finally does get his courage up. He finally does. He he steps out the door. He says some courageous things. Unfortunately, it was way too late. Judgment was already right there. Turn back over to Genesis. I'm just wrapping up here. Genesis chapter 19. I want you to look at verse number 14. This is the next morning. That wicked night when the city gathered around, Lot stands out on the porch and says, Don't do this. The angels smite the men of the city with blindness and they they wander around. The next morning, look what happens. Verse number 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up! get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city would you read that next line with me but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in law in other words when he finally got the courage to proclaim the truth God's going to destroy the city get up we've got to get out we've got to get out of here come on let's go They thought he was making fun of them. They thought he was joking. They thought he was crazy or something. You know what the horrible thing is here in this story? Once you get vexed, any compassion you have is now hidden. And any attempt you make to pass out a track, to invite someone to church, to make a difference in their life, for for the sake of the kingdom of God and righteousness. They look at you like, are you serious? You've gotta be you gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're joking. You know what this city thinks of us as Christians? You're kidding me, right? You being serious? you know what the problem is it's not with our message we have got the message we have got the answer for the world I submit to you the problem is right in our hearts we have become vexed where we no longer look at people with love and compassion the way the good Samaritan looked at the man that was fallen on the road to Jericho The Bible says he had compassion on him. And he went to him and he poured in oil and wine and put him on his own beast and took him to an inn and gave money to take care of him. It says, when I return. He wasn't worried about what he was doing when he was robbed. He wasn't worried about who he was. He was worried about making a difference. Christians, let me say to you right now, We're about ready to get up and go out into this world. I submit to you that this is a modern Sodom. And we modern lots that can make a difference or not. Jesus said, if the mighty works had been done, it would have remained unto this day. Maybe you're saying, Brother Brad, you have no idea how big our city is. You don't know what you're talking about. You remember that conversation, that legendary conversation with God and Abraham? And Lot, the Jewish bargainer, said, uh, I mean, Abraham, the Jewish bargainer, says to God, he says, would you destroy it for 50? God says, no, I I won't destroy it for 50. For for 45? God says, no. No. For 35, no, I won't dis- For 25, God says, "If there be 25 righteous, I will not destroy the city." They go all the way down to 10. For 10, God says, "Abraham, you're my friend. I will not destroy the city." If there's ten righteous. You don't have to win everyone. You just have to win one. God's got a purpose and a reason for you being here this week. And this week, don't say I have to win the city. Say, God, by your grace, help me to win one. Help me to love people. Help me to to see people, not just faces and cultures and people and things and wickedness. Help me to see souls that I can make a difference in. Lot could have made a difference. You can make a difference if you'll see them and not their unlawful deeds. Will you look past all the wickedness and see people? Will you do it? Lot, if you don't, you'll lose everything. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. How many of you here tonight say, in a way, I'm Lot? Would you raise your hand? Yes, 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 all over the place. God has saved you. God has empowered you to make a difference in your city. Wicked though it may be, God can use you in ways you couldn't believe. Don't be overwhelmed with the thousands, but focus in on one, one at a time. Go ahead and start playing. If you'd go ahead and play the invitation. The invitation to you is, God, help me to see See people, not people's wickedness. I invite you to stand with me during this invitation. If you'd like to come forward, come. If you'd like to pray and kneel where you're at, do it. Make a decision for God. Oh God, help me to see this wicked world as someone going to hell and make a difference where I can.